So the issues of safe supply and harm reduction are big conversations these days. And uh, before safe supply started to flood across the country, it uh, started out as a pilot project in 2016 in London. And the idea back then was give it to women so that they don't have to sell themselves uh, on the streets, you know, sell their bodies to buy drugs. And then it was sold by activists as a benefit for all drug addicts. And that's, you know, when the pilot was expanded to all of Ontario with addiction doctors noting a you know, once that happened, that there was a big uptick in overdose deaths. And they saw it with those injecting hydromorphine. And they saw some health issues with hydromorphine, which presented heart valve damage. And worse, once Safe Supply started giving out free drugs, the market became flooded and widely defrauded with reports that the majority of free government hydromorphone are now being sold on the black market, fueling a whole new wave of addictions and in London, led the way to fentanyl gangs spreading their poison. We get this from Adam Zivo, who is writing this for the Bureau, and also writes for the National Post, did a very big uh, investigation into this whole industry. Uh, he joins us now. Good to have you. Good to, have, uh, good to be back. All right, so this is your latest piece kind of at the epicenter of how we started and where we have come uh, to be. And you speak with a doctor, uh, Dr. Koivu, um, she's an addiction specialist, and she takes you through um, some of what they've seen from the pilot to where we are now. And that's, I guess, basically what, what she's found. But, to, you know, you make clear she's one of very few that will speak out. Most are largely too afraid to speak out. You speak out, but I've already seen since you put this piece out that you have been uh, fairly regularly attacked. Well, well, that's the thing is that... Uh... Criticism of safe supply is the mainstream position within addiction medicine practitioners. But unfortunately, many people are afraid of online harassment from safe supply activists who are known to bully their opponents with vicious zeal. I mean, some of the stuff they yeah. say is really burning. Uh, and people are also afraid of losing their jobs. You know, I've spoken with addiction physicians who have worked in important research institutes where they've been told that they would lose their job if they tried to research the negative impacts of safer supply. And some physicians are worried that if they criticize safer supply, then their clinics will be uh, you know, overlooked for government grants or will not receive contracts to provide key addiction services. So it, it's really quite concerning how there's a culture of fear here. Well, yeah, because if we're going to do these things and you want public buy-in, then you have to have the data. You have to have the evidence, as, as we've heard so often from Carolyn Bennett, who was the minister on this. All she talked about was the evidence. It's working, it's working, it's working. But we now have a large enough, I think, pool of stats and data provided by you and a couple of others to say, look, it's not working. The evidence doesn't show it's working. And in the society at large you know, category, it's not working at all. I mean, if you're in the community where these things are, we've seen you know, the fallout. Well, the thing is that safer supply advocates insist again and again that their intervention is evidence-based, but that's not true at all. Because when you look at the studies that they cite, almost all of them are incredibly low quality. So many of them are qualitative research, uh, qualitative studies. Essentially, what these researchers do is they interview about 20 to 30 drug users who are based in Vancouver who are on safer supply and ask them, what do they think about safer supply? And, you know, shockingly, the drug users say that safer supply is great. And then the researchers say, yep, 
There's no bias here. This is obviously objective evidence that safer supply is working, which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. We would not accept that kind of quote unquote evidence in any other high risk healthcare environments. Well, you'd hope not, um, but it does raise that, questions. Like it does raise questions if they're not willing to do proper research on that. What else, what else are they cutting corners on because of ideology? Well, well, that's the thing is that they're not researching it's the issue of diversion. Diversion right. is what is the term used to describe uh, reselling these drugs on the streets. Uh, there's no studies there. The only studies that they're doing into diversion is asking drug users who are on safer supply if they divert and if yeah, if they do, then why? Which is which is obscene. And and we're starting to see youth and and adults as well uh, get addicted because they are consuming safer right. supply opioids. And you reported this. You had a massive investigative piece a few months ago. It was a 45-minute read. But you, you, I think, were the first to report of the exploitation of these systems um, openly, uh, that, that you know, once it became known that the government was giving out free drugs, the drug dealers moved in and, and in London, you know, started these fentanyl gangs. When did that part of it start? Well, well so... The abuse of safer supply has been around for quite some time. So as you mentioned, Dr. Sharon Koivu, she's worked in a hospital right beside a safer supply dispensary slash program that was launched back in 2016. This was the first one that opened up in Canada. And she began to see abuse pretty much right away. And what she was hearing from her patients is that they were purchasing hydromorphone, which is the opioid distributed through safer supply mm -hmm. from safer supply patients and injecting it, which then led to horrific horrific, horrific, horrific infections that would often, would sometimes leave patients paralyzed. And she was wondering, well, why is no one recognizing the suffering of my patients? And why is no one talking about this big issue? And she's been screaming into the void for years and no one would listen up until this year. Hmm. There's differences between safe supply and harm reduction, which I think confuses a lot of people. It is confusing, but there are differences uh, in this. Um, program. Can you explain just a little bit about what the difference is in harm reduction and, and safe supply? Sure. Like, you know, harm reduction is a big umbrella of different interventions, some of which have more evidence than others. So good examples of harm reduction would be, let's say, needle exchange services right. that ensure people don't have to reuse their needles. Uh, that decreases transmission of HIV and hepatitis C. Uh, then you have safe so the consumption tools, sites. give the tools for the drugs. They give the tools, yeah. right? And then in safe consumption sites, they provide a space for people to consume their drugs under supervision. That's very contentious. And a lot of the evidence that backs these sites is very questionable as well, but that's a whole different story. But they don't provide people with the drugs there. And then Safer Supply essentially provides people with free addictive drugs that are as powerful as heroin but don't provide any supervision with how these drugs are consumed, which is why a lot of these drugs end up being resold on the black market. Right. Yeah, to kids for nothing. And uh, and on the premise, if, if you go to a, I guess a high school and that say, kids, we got the safe stuff, you know, maybe they'll try it, but you've, you're creating a whole new market of, of drug users. Do you get the sense, Adam, in all the time that you have been um, doing this reporting, that doctors now in the addictive field are finally coming forward and willing to speak? Because I don't think we're going to see any change in this unless we get a new government, but certainly unless they collectively say, enough. we've seen this now for 10 years, it's not working. Uh, absolutely. I actually was on the phone earlier today with Dr. Koivu, and she had mentioned that since my piece came out back in May, 
addiction doctors are now openly discussing the problem of safer supply in a way that they've never done before. Uh, and I'm hearing that from a variety of different doctors who, you know, don't know each other. So it's all in parallel. How my report was a little bit paradigm shifting, which feels really nice to mm-hmm. hear as a journalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that the federal government continues to claim that there's nothing wrong, uh, but I don't think they actually believe that. I've gotten emails from civil servants who say that behind the scenes, Health Canada is scared whenever any stuff comes out about safer supply. Um, I've got contacts who say that Vancouver Coastal Health, uh, in that organization, it's an open secret that diversion is a big issue and they're very nervous. Uh, And I've heard from harm reduction activists and from drug users online that since the summer, access to safer supply has been significantly reduced in BC, which suggests that the provincial government is quietly adjusting course, but not attention to this fact. They will never admit mistakes but uh good for you uh keep making the noise and um i'll make it with you appreciate it thank you that (laughs) is hopefully together we can help yeah well no i mean i want the evidence to drive the conversation and the evidence is now moving in a different direction so i'm I'm happy to have this conversation i appreciate it adam thank you (laughs) sorry i'm coughing that is adam zivo who writes not just for the national post but he's writing for sam cooper's the bureau and has really led the way on how this issue is covered, and I'm glad to see the conversation move in a different way because I think a lot of people see compassion as getting people freed from addiction.